Welcome back, everybody, to In The Loop. What is up, everybody? My name is Michael Burpo. Thanks again for listening to In The Loop. This week, I'm joined by Penny Palmer, the Director of Member Services at IJO. And if you're in IJO, you've probably met Penny a couple times. Uh, Penny has been with IJO for a very long time, working her way up from kind of a front desk secretary type of employee, and now being a director and one of the faces of the organization. Uh, we talk all about IJO and the value of a buying group and kind of what IJO uh, brings to the table, um, some of its originating story. And we also just discuss a little bit more about kind of the future of the jewelry industry and how e-commerce will affect uh, kind of territory or exclusive uh, clauses for for memberships. Uh, it's a fun talk. I'm really interested in buying groups as a whole because uh, they're one of the kind of the hallmarks of the jewelry industry and uh, they've kind of existed in this kind of form for a while and I'm always interested in how they're kind of adapting to how the jewelry industry is changing every single year. Um, it's a really good talk. I hope you enjoy and uh, stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Punchmark, the jewelry industry's favorite website platform. Whether you're looking for better e-commerce performance, business growth, or campaigns that drive traffic and sales, Punchmark's website and marketing services were made just for you. It's never too late to transform your business with a user-friendly, point-of-sale integrated website platform designed for growth and results. Sign up for your free demo today at punchmark.com. While you're enjoying this week's episode, take a moment and leave us a star rating on the Spotify mobile app. Or if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a star rating and a review. It's the best way to help us grow and to show that you're really enjoying the show. Thanks. And now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined by Penny Palmer. Uh, you might know her as the face of IJO or the heart of IJO, more accurately. How are you doing today, Penny? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing so well. Uh, for a lot of people, this conversation will be uh, very close to home. Uh, a lot of our listeners are in IJO, which is one of the buying groups in the jewelry world, one of the most influential, one of the oldest, one of the most popular. Um, and you act as the director of member services. Is that correct? And you've been with them for, for a while. So um, what is your kind of like your day-to-day -day role um, like at IJO? Well, I wear many hats and mm. um, it's interesting because I started 31 years ago and I was hired as the receptionist and I knew Bill Roberts, the founder and Jeff Roberts' father. I knew him socially. He was a friend. And at the time I was getting a divorce and I didn't have health insurance for my children. And that's why I wow. took the job. And then three years later, I was promoted to meeting planner. And three years after that, I was promoted to this position and I've been here since 1998. And so I, I'm the one who gets the retail jewelers to join IJO to try to convince them that there's no gimmick. That's the biggest thing. People think there mm -hmm. has to be a gimmick. People are always skeptical, uh, like, what are you going to do for me? And so my job is basically to win their hearts <laughs> and get them <laughs> to come to a show. And if they come to a show, it's like, duh, it's a no-brainer. Um, yeah. Then th they can see us in action. And so I am I get a lot of leads from uh, our members and even more from our vendor members um, on people, you know, recommending them to join IJO. 
So a day to day, it doesn't stop. Um, you know, I have a lot of preparation for mailings before our shows to invite um, potential members to come. Mm-hmm. When we have a show, I send out these invitations and offer an airline ticket and four nights at the hotel. And there's absolutely no obligation. I just ask them to come with an open mind. And again, getting back to duh, <laughs> once they come, they join on the spot. And my closing ratio is just about 100%. And it's wow. everyone says it's a no brainer. And it is. I mean, once I, I just so believe in what we do. Um, and I think that comes across that we are sincere in what we do, that we're going to yeah. change the lives of our members. There, I just came back from Antwerp. So that also is, um, you know, preparing for that trip and going on the trip for a week and then follow up afterwards and getting back into show mode. So yeah, it's busy. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. So maybe can you, you you say you're you know close to 100 percent on uh on these close on closing for these for new members joining. Um, can you give me kind of the maybe the sales pitch for for IJO and 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 what it is that they uniquely offer? Well, that's difficult, Michael, because when mm-hmm. I do my presentation at the show, it take to all the new members. Um, it takes more than 90 minutes because that's how much we offer. Um, mm. So it, it's something that, and I sh- I'm sure I don't cover every single thing every time. And most of the time I, I talk, so it's not like a canned thing that I say the same things every time. I speak from my heart. Um, but basically we started in the very end of 1971, Bill Roberts had this idea, let's get a bunch of jewelers together so that they can buy better. Um, as a group, like if you're a small store, you're not going to get preferential pricing from a vendor, but buying through the group, you will. Mm-hmm. And also to work smarter, that people putting their heads together um, in a non-competitive atmosphere, um, that they're going to increase their sales and, and have a better life, more profitable store. And it was a brilliant idea. And when he proposed it, it was just this thing in the clouds. I mean, it wasn't even a real thing. And there were about 50 people who said, you know wow. what, I think I'm going to do that. And that's how it began. And he had a handful of vendors and from, and then it's evolved <laughs> tremendously since that beginning, but it was, it was a brilliant, brilliant idea. And uh, we're still going more than 50 years later. Yeah, it's so cool because I've been I've had uh, a chance to attend an IJO show in the in the past. I attended um, IJO Cleveland back in 2018. That was uh, <laughs> back when I really had just started with Punchmark. And uh, one of the things that comes up the most, and I'm in some of these um, IJO groups on Facebook, and they're always they talk very uh, familiarly with each other. So very much it's all centered around this idea of family and sense of family. Um, and this, I think it's kind of circulates around this non-compete. Uh, can you explain the non-compete for businesses? Sure. We give our members exclusive territory and some people want to know, okay, what is the mileage? What is the exact mileage I can get? And Mm -hmm. there is no black and white with me. It's all gray areas. (laughs) And so it's based on population, um, media, like outside of Chicago, we have some stores that are three to five miles apart because they don't compete with one another. There are so many people, so many stores. And, but if somebody is interested in membership and I feel there might be a question, I will call the existing member. 
and I, if I don't have their blessing, I'm not going to take on the new member. Um, and so in other areas, I say average is between 12 and 15 miles and more than that, even 15 to 20 miles. And I tell our members, you know, once you're here, I'm going to protect you because if you are going to the same show as a competitor and buying the same product and say you decide to go to Antwerp, um, that's just, it just defeats the whole purpose of the exclusivity. So, and then I also tell the new members, but you can't have the whole state. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's to protect uh, these clients from, you know, having their competitors in the same channel as them and allowing them to share this information very freely. And that's part of like what I find so um, kind of surprising when I first joined the jewelry industry is how willing people were to kind of share these, what I would call like trade secrets, you know, like, hey, we're trying to, you know, mark up this more, or we're trying to sell more of this. How do you guys do it? And the craziest thing is that People tell you like, they, like, oh, we do this promotion or, oh, we've done this in the past. And, oh, we've uh, we've seen a, a jump of sales and, you know, 12 percent based on just simply, you know, uh, changing our language around it. I find it very, you know, surprising, but also endearing that the jewelry industry, especially for retailers, are so, um, you know, transparent about what they do. Uh, I I definitely have I've really kind of felt that uh, that compassion and like camaraderie from from the jewelry industry it's wonderful and in ijo we have um our shows where they can meet and and discuss things safely because there's no competition we have um, on our website we have our what we call indie channel our discussion channel and we also have a private facebook page we have a public one also but the private one is you know no competition on that one and sometimes I am also amazed at what they share. They share numbers. They will say what's yeah. walking out the door. You at the next show, you've got to you got to look at this vendor because it's I can't even keep it in stock. And it's just a it's a beautiful thing that everybody is so kind and um so willing to help one another. Yeah, I think that that's uh I don't know if this is the only industry I've ever, you know, kind of really been this level of a part of, but um I find it very just so fun that people are willing to kind of share that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's part of why this podcast has been around for so long is that uh, people are willing to share these kind of, you know, their, their secret sauce. And and that's probably what keeps the, the industry pushing forward and also helps the, the retailers in that, you know, I keep on referring to it as like the fight against the big box, but it, it yeah. seems like they, they are doing uh pretty well and it's keeping things moving. Yeah. And we help our members compete in their, their own, you know, areas, mm -hmm. um, compete against the big boxes and their competition, um, give them a, a, an edge where they're different. And we focus on the quality and the integrity um, and the trust for other, an IJO member and, you know, help them with things like that. Because in this industry, when you hear on the news that a jeweler has swapped a diamond, that does not affect that jeweler as much as it affects the entire industry yes. and people become so suspicious. And so we try to, um, we focus on things like the integrity of, of the members and that you can trust them. And, and then they have us behind them. If anything comes up, we're here to just stand behind them. Yeah. And I think part of a, a big part of this, you know, camaraderie is also getting a chance to have this face to face time, not just with other retailers, but with the vendors that, that these retailers are doing business with. And it all kind of cycles around these, these shows. And I kind of want to talk about them just a little bit. Um, 
it seems like there's a lot of um first of all is it mandatory for retailers to attend uh these uh these shows each year because i think that there's two every year we have two every year we have no requirements on attendance mm. no the nobody but on the other hand between 75 and 80 percent of our members attend both shows every year wow i think that that's says crazy. a lot about our shows <laughs> yeah there's so much fun and um i guess one thing i've always wondered is uh how do you pick the locations or who first of all who picks the locations and also how do you pick a a city that you're going to send you know hundreds of, of retailers to and hundreds of of vendors to that's a, a pretty big task and we're talking thousands um thousands. jennifer harold yeah jennifer harold is the one that does that i did that for three years and i'm grateful that i'm not doing it anymore yeah. um we are have become we've grown so much that we've become very limited as to where we can go and so we try to choose a city. We go all over the place because our people like to travel. And they've, they've said, you know, I never would have seen or chosen to see a lot of these cities that IJO has taken us to. And they've turned out to be wonderful. And so we need so much space at our shows. You know, we will have seminars all day on Saturday. And um, we have team clinics on Saturday afternoon where there are 22 of them going on at the same time. So that's 22 meeting rooms. Um, wow. We need close to 100,000 um, square feet in our buying room. And we're, so we are limited now. And it's a difficult job. Jennifer's having an even more difficult job because since COVID prices, you know, they suffered terribly. The, the whole mm -hmm. industry suffered terribly during COVID, even though the jewelers didn't, the um, travel industry did. And so it, the prices have gone up and trying to negotiate prices because we want to get good attendance and we want people to want to come to a city um, and we want them to, <laughs> to, you know, come and bring their families. We just came from Orlando in March yeah. and that was a fabulous show. Attendance was off the charts and people brought their, their families. And what's interesting is I remember so cool. seeing um, some other shows where it says positively no one under 16 is allowed in the buying room. And we have people who grew up in IJO shows and they're bringing their children now. And in our buying room, we have babies in strollers and little kids. And I tell our members, you know, when you bring your four-year-old and your six-year-old, why don't you have them pick something out and put it in your showcase? And then one day you're going to go home and say, oh my God, guess what I sold today? Because young oh, people don't want to go into retail. So you want them to start early to get the bug about being in retail. But yeah. it, it's, um, you know, like I said, we we are limited. So we do go back to, to places that work well. Like Orlando is the most perfect place for us. Perfect venue um, mm -hmm. because of the size, because of the location. Um, everything is perfect there. But it gets harder all the time. I can only imagine and that bringing the the kids and or just younger people in general i think is such a a very a great thing but also a very smart uh strategic decision on your guys's part because uh one of the things i've been kind of focusing a lot a little bit more on within the loop is talking to people about you know the next generation of of jewelers and it's funny next generation uh <laughs> historically has meant like you know 20 like the people right now who are like late 20s to to 30s but now i actually am in, in meaning like the next generation as in like the people who like you just outlined you know anywhere between you know infants to 
to, you know, teenagers and having them be able to attend the show is the kind of thing that I feel like will plant that seed. And if there's anything we know about, about kids, right, it's that if you push them to do something, a lot of the times they will push back just, just in spite kind of thing, or just because you push them into it. So it's almost like you kind of have to gently plant the seed and then allow them to, to water and look after it themselves. I think that's so great. Well, I also tell the parents to beware that mm-hmm. if you bring your children to a show, they're never going to let you come without them again because they meet <laughs> other children and they yeah. get to, to be lifelong friends just from coming to the shows. It's adorable when I see them and it's, I see who becomes friends with whom and it's just the cutest thing. And so I, I do give them that warning. <laughs> And do you have a a favorite show that you've been to? I mean, you mentioned Orlando. It sounds like that's pretty awesome. But I know that there have been, uh, Jason has talked, I think about, is it Palm Springs is a a pretty awesome one? Palm Springs is, I I used to go there often uh, in my other life. And I love Palm Springs. But without a doubt, my favorite is the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. Ah. And it's not everyone's favorite. But to me, it is one of the most beautiful, visually beautiful places and I so enjoy going there. And I think that like if Jennifer books it again at my advanced age, I think I'm going to keep working so I can go back. Um, wow. And there have been many, many favorite back in the um, 90s. We went to the Greenbrier in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. And that was very, very memorable. But we can't sit there anymore. Yeah. And it's not easy to get there. But but um, yeah, the Broadmoor, hands down. <laughs> I'd go that sounds every amazing. year. Oh, it and really is. A lot of these, I mean, you've been with, with IJO for um for quite the span of time, and it sounds like things have been constantly developing and changing and, and updating. Um, the jewelry industry as a whole must have changed quite a bit in that time as well. Um, is there anything in particular you can kind of point to that is the biggest change? Well, yes, of course, it has changed dramatically. I mean, when you mm-hmm. think back to maybe back in the 50s or so, you had a local jeweler and you had a customer who was just loyal to they they needed jewelry they, they went to their there. local right um they went to their local jeweler and 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 shopped so you didn't have the avenues that we have now um they also advertised in their local newspaper who does that anymore you know <laughs> i mean that's that's definitely changed with technology um that's changed so much because the whole world has opened up um, and dis- But despite all the technology, some things are the same. Like young people are looking for a way that's just more personal, a personal experience. Um, social media has helped in that regard because you can share personal and touching stories um, about your customers to your public. And that makes it, you know, so that your people watching will feel like they know you and get and get to know you. Um, I tell, it's funny, I told our new members that, um, my mother and father got married in 1944 and after my father died i have his wedding ring on my thumb wow. and one day my mother said in 1944 your dad bought me my what she had a plain gold band bought me my wedding band and he spent a dollar 50 and what? i spent <laughs> yeah well gold was but he, she said but i spent four dollars on his <laughs> And sometimes, especially when you have older customers come in and, and ask them how did they meet and ask them about the Jew. And that's something that's just projected to the public that makes it a warm experience and makes people want to come. 
Um, and the other thing is, like I tell members at our shows, you need to have a great website or you'll never see the customers. They're impatient, yeah. but they also need to see value. It needs to be click. I tell people sometimes I look at their websites and on their homepage, there's no address, there's no phone number, and you have to click through. And I know, I know they want them to click through, but sometimes that's all they're looking for. They're on yeah. their phone or on their computer, and all I want is your address. Don't make it, don't put up a barrier, you know, make it easier for them. Don't put up any barriers. Um, yeah, but also that now, yeah, but now I think the sharing of information and ideas. Um, back in the 50s, you didn't have that. People didn't have the forms of communication that they have now. So with this exclusive territory we provide, you know, they can share freely and safely on our, our sources. And it, um, and again, like I said before, you wouldn't believe what they share. You just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but they're looking for a personal experience. And I'm hopeful that more are going to feel a personal connection and go go to a brick and mortar store um, rather than buying online. It's like, you know, back looking at people, when I hear about people who buy diamonds and expensive jewelry online without seeing it, it's like, you know, people, our members and, and retailers have to keep putting it out there um, about come in, see it, talk to me, learn about it rather than just click and, you know, how impersonal can you get? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned, um, you know, being so loyal to uh, a specific jeweler. My, uh, my grandpa, when he came to this country, he had a, uh, he was, you know, was a Polish, a Polish Jew from, uh, you know, from Poland. And he uh, came to this country and he lived in New York city for a while. And even when he moved away from New York city, he kept this connection with this other uh, Polish Jew in, uh, in New York city in the diamond district and uh, where he, and he kept on going back and uh, purchasing these diamonds that he would uh, invest his money into. And uh, he would give them as gifts to my grandma, but what um, uh, specifically would use them as investments. But he always went to the same, the same guy, uh, Silverbush. Yeah, he. Uh, it's so funny how there's that connection. And um, but at the same time, I guess Penny, this is a kind of a harder question. So um, forgive me. The with online taking up more, more and more of of the share of of, of transactions for jewelry um, exclusivity. And kind of what makes, you know, IJO very special is this exclusive um, kind of rule around protection of their customers. As online becomes more important, do you worry that maybe that um, area, the physical location protection will be less important as because, you know, it doesn't matter if your place is 75 miles away or, you know, 750 miles away because I can buy it off your website. Do you, do you worry that people will kind of pull back on how much they're willing to share or will that kind of just kick it into the next gear? I don't see that happening. Um, I know some so many people feel that the internet has taken away a lot of their business. Percentage-wise, it really hasn't. Mm -hmm. There's still many, many billions of dollars out there um, for retail. You know, and I what I say to our jewelers is, what are you doing to get them to come to your to your store? And it's because it's at, the business is out there, and I don't think it's at least not not right now. Uh, as big a threat as people fear. Um, I know some of our members sell online, but I don't mm -hmm. think it's a huge portion or percentage of their business. It's available, if, and so sometimes it's just their customers buying online, but um, it's still 
not to me i don't i just don't see it as that big a threat at this point maybe down the road it will be but i've been aware of our members who do that and i don't see it being an issue with the other members and the exclusivity i i'm not fearful of that Mm -hmm. and another thing i'm curious about is uh i used to lead the the vendor program at punchmark and i think that the relationship between vendors and retailers, I feel like someone could write a whole book about it. I think it's just fascinating how there's this very unique dynamic uh, that hypothesized is very unique to this industry, but who knows, it could be uh, existing elsewhere. But how do you, you know, in your position, handle that kind of very tricky relationship between jewelry vendors who are the ones that are designing and usually producing these uh, unique pieces of, of jewelry and then selling them to the retailer who will then turn around and uh, sell them to the end customer. Um, I know that sometimes vendors can be, uh, you know, very protective of their wares or have very specific rules about how things can be done. And that can create a little bit of conflict. Um, how do you kind of, you know, play the the intermediary? Well, one of the things that I always stress is they are all the vendors are also part of this family. And they are an important part of the triad. I mean, it has to work for them, for the retailers, and for IJO. And it happens to work beautifully. I also mm. have this saying that I use, when, uh, you know, as far as um, retail members, that one of the prerequisites, because we don't have many, one of the prerequisites is you have to be nice. And I think that goes along with, and of course I'm joking, but in a way I'm not. You know, I yeah. mean, it's it's such a such a happy family atmosphere that it's just it just fills my heart that, you know, and again, they're all part of the or and it has to work for them. We're on we're behind the retailers if they need have issues with with vendors and we are behind the vendors if they have issues with retailers. So they have that safety. Um, they always have us because we're going to look out for all of our members um, and there are always two sides to every story. So we try to, you know, dive in and get all the info. Yeah, man, I, I just think, you know, I've heard every every story in the book about, you know, they have a specific rule about how much uh, space in your store that they they must occupy or how many display cases or, um, you know, the language you can use around them. Uh, even the concept of, of white labeling is just so... Um, strange to me. I've, you know, I had never heard about it going through college about, you know, that some people are okay with you saying that you made it, even if you, you know, didn't really. Um, I, I have found that very, very unique for the jewelry industry, but it sounds like you guys handle it very well. Vendors are, um, you know, always, always speaking very highly of IJO and of the retailers in it. And the fact that you guys have been able to attract both sides of the equation kind of, uh, speaks volumes. Well, I think that, the issues that you're talking about, about the space required and things like that, mm. that's really more for the big brands. Mm. Um, you know, Rolex can di dictate, Hearts on Fire can dictate, and those big brands don't need us. Uh. You know, we bring, when we have our shows, we bring all highly rated, as far as credit rating, um, members to our shows to buy from the, the vendors. Yeah. And so it's a beautiful thing, you know, and because our attendance is so good, they all say it's their favorite show. Um, and it's not just because the attendance and the sales. It's I always tell everybody there's a feeling at our shows that you just don't get anywhere else. And I'm very, very proud of that. That's great.
So maybe as we kind of just wrap this up, Penny, I, I'd be uh, I'd be amiss if I didn't kind of bring up uh, the unique relationship with that you have with uh, with Punchmark. Uh, can you kind of just touch on that really quickly? <laughs> um, how quick do I have to be? Oh, it's up <laughs> to you. You you, no, you, you go as long as you want. <laughs> I'm kidding because it's a good thing this is video only because if you could see the big fat grin on my face right now, <laughs> because I just, I literally burst with pride. Um, Brian and Ross used to stuff packets before shows when they were in their early teens back in the 90s. Mm. And you know, they grew up in IJO. I think Ross went to at least 13 shows. Um, Brian went to a few. I took Brian to Antwerp. Um, Ross went to Antwerp five times. And so they are so invested in IJO because it's part of their lives. And so then Ross started Punchmark and and what it has developed into, you know, the number one jewelry web designers in the United States. Ooh. These are my boys that used to <laughs> they used to stuff packets for us and 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 enter um, vendor reports and things, you know. So it's just like yeah. And then I get to see them at shows twice a year, so that's another bonus. Yeah. But I literally burst with pride. I am just so proud um, that's of, so cool. of them. They're. Yeah. Talk, it's, talk it's about the epitome a... of, of, of that IJO kind of family sort of, of feel. Exactly. You know? <laughs> That's great. Exactly. Talk about family. I, oh, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> my boy. Well, Penny, I love it. Yeah. I, it seems like a, a really cool thing that you, that you guys have at IJO. Um, everybody speaks so highly of it. And um, a lot of the people, a lot of the members are just so, you know, ride or die for, for IJO that I find it very infectious. Um, you guys seem like you guys are very focused on, on pushing towards the, the future and adapting to things and keeping the education kind of where it needs to be, which is front and center. And, um, I definitely have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing, um, at IJO. So I'm really pleased that I got a chance to speak with you. Um, out of everybody I could have talked to, uh, I feel like getting Penny Palmer on, uh, on in the loop is a real, a real big get for us. So we're stoked. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Michael. All right. <laughs> um, we're stronger. Th we're stronger than we have ever been in 51 years, and so it's just it gets better all the time. So again, I like say all the time, I'm so proud. <laughs> great. And Penny, um, where can people, um, you know, contact you if they want to learn more about potentially uh, about IJO? Um, where should they reach out to? Well, they could always email me, Penny at ijo.com. They can call the office. 800-624-9252. They can go to our website, www.ijo.com. And there's information on there about membership. Um, it's interesting because about 75% of the members of the retailers interested in membership are not eligible. So whether it's their JBT rating or their territory, those are basically mm. the two things. Um, they're not eligible. So it's pretty exclusive organization. Well, I appreciate you uh, joining and I hope that, you know, maybe someone will listen to this and they'll plant the seed and uh, they'll go after you guys. It's kind of interesting. Um, you mentioned IJO.com. Uh, that was actually one of the the bigger projects I've ever got a chance to work on. Uh, Punchmark does that website and uh, yes. I got a chance to help uh, wireframe and, and design some of the strategy for that for that site. So very cool that you guys still have it. Um, oh, it's all family. I, absolutely. And I appreciate you though, Penny. I think it's great that you came on. It's been, you've been someone I've wanted to speak with for a while. And um, I'm so grateful that you are uh, leading the jewelry industry forward. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's been my pleasure. Great. Well, everybody, we'll be back next week, Tuesday with another episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Bye.
Bye. All right, everybody. That's the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening. This week's episode was brought to you by Punchmark and produced and hosted by Michael Burpo. My guest this week was Penny Palmer, and this episode was edited by Paul Suarez with music by Ross Cockrum. Don't forget to leave us a review and a comment on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as leave us some feedback on punchmark.com slash loop. That's L-O-U-P-E. And check back in next week, Tuesday, for another episode. It's going to be a good one. Thanks, everybody.